hey, this is Ed Sanchez, the director of Blair Witch Project and a couple of other movies you may have heard of. You're listening to Diminishing Returns. New Year! It's 2020, guys. Four more years. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, we're looking forward to the new year, aren't we? Can you believe that election? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you are kicking off your year in style, listener, with part two of Diminishing Returns, Living in the Past, <laughs> looking over 2019. And take taking you with us. Uh, last week, I'm sure you all listened. We we did the first six months of 2019 in terms of we our little reviews going back on them, and today we're doing the the the, the second half of 2019. If you're not yeah. aware, we do uh, what we call diminisodes on our Patreon stream, mm. in which we review new releases. And uh, this episode is going to be a combination of um, shorter edits of those episodes. Yeah, heavily truncated. We're yeah. we're keeping about two thirds of each episode exclusive to Patreon listeners on average, I'd say, and then consider this an ad of of what you're missing out on. But there's loads of exclusive shit still still on Patreon that you can't hear in these episodes, uh, and of course we will be adding to it with new stuff mm-hmm. as and when we see it. So you know, do you, do you really want to wait twelve months to hear what we thought about? No, no time to die. <laughs> uh, it's that's, that's the one that's the one they want to know about uh, patreon.com so... forward slash diminisodes <laughs> for all your uh, diminisode needs and if you if you heard last week's episode you also heard parts one and two of the uh, 2019 diminishing returns music quiz which um, Calvin and Alan uh, left on fairly neck and neck Calvin's on nine points Alan's on ten points uh, we will be playing rounds three and four of that uh, mm. this week over the course of this episode. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I saved the good shit till last. Oh. Like, all, all that stuff last week was bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> there are some right bangers coming up this week, so <laughs> just you wait. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose uh, we left off on Toy Story 4 oh, yeah. last week. I mean, I, I wasn't massively sold on it, but it's one of the better films of the year, I would say. This week, we're going to kick off with the other end of the spectrum, uh, really scraping the bottom of the barrel, 2019's The Lion King remake. What a piece of shit. (laughs) Based on the footage we've seen of the trailers, we thought the problem's going to be the the animals aren't expressive enough. Um, It's going to lose a lot of the charm of the original yeah. uh, we we knew there was an extra sort of 20 or 30 minutes or something in it which yeah well all those yeah. fears were founded yeah having, <laughs> having seen the film yeah. where did that extra 29 minutes come from because they didn't add any new scenes no it was just sort they didn't of... add any new songs they didn't add any new characters or plots no. it's I, I genuinely don't think there's a single new scene in the film they just extended everything. 
they mm. they just kind of sang everything a bit slower and lifelessly. <laughs> and fuck me, it started to drag at the end. I, I really I was really getting bored. I I was falling asleep actually, um for whatever that worth. I mean I guess I was tired, but I was literally falling asleep in the end of this film, so not Yeah, a good yeah, sign, I mean not a good sign. I I, I went into this thinking, because reviews came out before I saw it, and they were lukewarm at best. Well, mm. no, mixed, maybe. No, just, yeah, mixed, I guess. But they all sort of suggested that it was practically shot for shot, or at least beat for beat from mm-hmm. the original. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'll go and watch a stage production with a new cast. I'll go and watch a new production of a show I like. People do that. Maybe I can look at this that way. It's it's a new production of an old classic. And I think that might have worked had they actually done a good job with the material. But the, mm-hmm. the acting was really bad on the whole. There are some exceptions. but And, and, and very capable actors, but giving lifeless, bad performances. James Earl Jones, even, who obviously we know can play this role well, I'm so familiar with the original that I was comparing his delivery sort of in real time, and it was just not as good. I mean, not only does he sound old now, Mufasa sounds sort of like an An old, decrepit lion (laughs) rather than the strong, fierce man he's supposed to be. But, for example, in the original, you know, he does you deliberately disobeyed me. And it's 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 a really nice delivery. And uh, in the new one, it's just like you deliberately disobeyed me. It's tired. It's just so like lifeless and ugh. Yeah. Oh, I just don't know what they were thinking. Chiwetel Ejiofor? <laughs> I think he thought he'd been cast as Mufasa. He definitely sounds like Mufasa, doesn't he? Which is supposed to be brothers, I guess, so that's yeah, fine. But, but... but Scar's meant to be this sort of fun Machiavellian he's meant to have a bit of sly charm to him and that yes. that didn't come across here. And it's not that what Chiwetel's doing is bad. It was yeah. just miscast. John Oliver, decent Zazu. I have um, to say really, really struggled during the song. But um, <laughs> well yeah. But it, I I slagged him off based on hearing that song before the film. I was slagging him off a bit, but I have to say he was oh, something I mean, he was of a shit highlight in that song. But that, to be honest, I'm going to put down to whoever arranged the sound mix of the whole thing, mm. whoever was directing his audio. So probably John Favreau and the sound mixer, because it was just badly. It, the, the, everything about that song and the songs in general in this film, everything about how the musical numbers are handled in this film is basically a film embarrassed to be a musical and not yeah. willing to embrace that it's a musical. It's all thrown away the same way that uh, the songs were handled in the Jungle Book remake, but that was fine because that wasn't a musical. It was just a kind of, hey, I'm just going to kind of sing this as if I'm humming it to myself in the shower. And this this film refused to cut any of the songs, but then it wouldn't do any of them properly. They were all just a fucking hindrance to the film. And then mm. they had the fucking audacity to extend that fucking The Lion Sleeps Tonight throwaway gag that's literally about 20 seconds in the original film to a fucking fully-fledged musical number. Does everyone love that moment so much? Because I don't. <laughs> it's probably my least favourite part of the original Lion King. Hate it. <laughs> it worked it just yeah they extended it too long just do it if you're gonna do it but it was re- when timon and pumba came up suddenly laughter children's laughter 
uh, everything yeah, they did. Well, they they were clearly the highlight of the film. Yes, um, they ran away with it. Yeah, um, Seth Rogen felt like. But I get you could he, see a lot of other people me, doing it. He cannot sing. <laughs> and it didn't sound like they tried to do more than one take. Like, he didn't even try <laughs> and hit those notes. Just fucking hell, get a voice double in. Like the original film did. Let Jim Cummings do it for Jeremy Irons. Get a, <laughs> get a professional singer in to dub Matthew Broderick. Because he's not good enough, even though he's a Broadway star. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Don't let him sing if he's that bad. And poor, poor Billy Eichner, who can hold a note, yeah, fucking stuck with that opposite. But yeah, Billy Eichner was the standout cast yeah. member for me because he's different enough from Nathan Lane to make Timon his own whilst embodying the same spirit of that mm-hmm. character. You're not constantly comparing it against Timon as we know him. I thought he was great. His performance was so lively. Uh, yeah, notably, we have Beyonce, Queen mm-hmm. Bee. Now, I'd completely forgot that Beyonce was in this uh, until I saw her name in the end credits. I was like, oh, yeah. So at no point when I was watching this film did I think, oh, that Nala's a bit shit actor. So I think in that sense, she was fine. She was fine. And she Does she was sing at all? She's one of the only cast members who can sing. <laughs> Does she uh, sing at all in this she film? She sings can, can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah. Uh, and And there was a bizarre moment where Simba runs back home to go and fight Scar, and you've got the music over it in the original. Um, They did that, but they, instead of putting that music over it, put an original song called Spirit, recorded for the film by Beyonce Knowles, over the top of it, and had Nala running behind him. So you had this weird, like, diegetic, non-diegetic crossover of an actor performing a song over the top of a character that they're playing, but it's not the character playing it. And bizarre as it was, and as awful as the sound edit job on that song was, it just baffled me, because this is the perfect opportunity to just add something a bit different from the original film. Just have Nala sing that song. Have a break into that song as they run home together. You've, you're showing them running home, so have her sing that on the way instead of just playing it over the top. Let Beyonce have a big moment. Because the moments where they did expand upon Nala a little bit did work better than most of the film. They, they had the bit where she was sneaking away, really heavily mm. expanded. It, it, it was just... I mean, it was a bad film. I kept thinking... Could they have done this almost like a nature documentary? Yeah. Just like you're watching real animals, no singing, no talking. You're just watching them behave like real animals. You know the story. Because I everyone knows agree. the story, you get away with it. Yeah. And I think you probably that... make it significantly shorter. Yeah. Uh, because there's lots that you would have to take out. But Yeah. I think that would be fascinating. I, I really do. And to be honest, they could probably reuse a whole load of assets from this film and just oh, yeah. pump it out as like a new version in like next year. So they should do that. It was bad, man. It was really bad. Three out of ten. Fuck this film. Whew. I wish a bad cold upon John Favreau as a punishment. <laughs> oh come on, harsh. <laughs> um, I would say five out of ten. How much of that is just for unbelievable visuals? Uh, 
Calvin, you've not even bothered with it, have you? That's that's how yeah. terrible. I just can't <laughs> be bothered. I've not seen Aladdin either. Like, I'm sure I will watch them. Probably, in fact, by the time this is aired, I probably will have seen it because it's the kind of thing that you can probably just stick on when you're with your family at Christmas and you're not too discerning. And it's like oh, seven o'clock. You're sort of nodding off anyway, but you just want to have someone some film to watch in the background. I'll probably see them both in that capacity. It's absolutely a film you can talk over the top of. Much. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> right. Uh, next up, It, Chapter 2. Quick, quick review of how we felt about it. Uh, a really great adaptation of the, the source material and uh, did, did the, the best they could with it because I don't think the source material is very good. Took the most interesting part of the story, which is the kids' part. Uh, and and really made it work, mm. but that means the sequel is made up of all the stuff that's left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know if you saw my Facebook status where I reviewed this film, Alan. I did not because I hadn't seen it, so I did, I didn't read the thing because I didn't want to. Okay, okay. Do you want me to read it out to you? Oh, go on then. I put Stephen King's It colon. Stephen King shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I commented underneath that it chapter two colon it chapter poo. <laughs> less a, less uh, less witty that one. What a wordsmith. <laughs> and then I did. Then I did it chapter two. It crapter two. <laughs> oh my, that's the first one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I did Alan. I did. I did it colon number two. Yeah, that's straightforward. That sh- you should have started with that one. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then I just capped it all off with they all float down here because uh, there was a fe- <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a fecal fecal theme running through. <laughs> uh, so I'm gathering you didn't particularly care for the film. No, I, I really did not. Um, neither did I. It was everything I feared it would be. Yeah. It was. I, I mean, I thought it was dreadful. Actually, I thought it was really bad. I thought it felt like a, a different director. Yes, yes. I I, I couldn't believe that someone as uh, masterful as the first film certainly appeared to be in its technical filmmaking and an ability to craft tension and and fear and character uh, put together this sub goosebumps piece of <laughs> shit. Well, I think, again, completely hamstrung by the source material. If you're going to stick to that source material, then it's a it's not going to be good, no matter what yeah. you do. But it, I think it demonstrated a complete lack of understanding about what made that source material work that the first film seemed to be so understanding of, you know? Yeah. I, I was blown away by how bad it was. It wasn't remotely scary at any point, for a start. But the film never felt like it was trying to be scary. It it it's like its tone was all over the place, you know. Yes, it, it, there kept, was... it kept trying to be comedic. There was a bit where um, they they hallucinate a dead person's head and it grows spider legs, and then Bill Hader they do a crash zoom on Bill Hader Ooh. and he goes, "You gotta be fucking kidding." And it's like, hang on, we're doing like spaced Edgar Wright style references <laughs> to movies now, aren't we? That's not there was. The first film did a very good job of hand waving the fact that none of the rules were in, like made any sense and so on. This film didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. It was just like, mm. oh, 
you're going to come back, he's going to get you, but you don't have to. None of the character, like, the characterization was all just, like, there was just so much shit that didn't need to be there. Like, we were introduced to Beverly Marsh again. She's in an abusive relationship. She runs away from it. End of. Never comes back again. Never feeds yeah. into her character. Pointless. Actually, that that is directly from the book. Uh, and from I'm sure what I remember sure. of reading the book, this is pretty... It's pretty sticking, sticking to it. And But that was uh, something I didn't like about the book, that she was this kind of abused put up on character and then there's this kind of moment where she is like stands up for herself and, and then yeah but it never really feeds into her character mm. that she's either like an empowered person now or, or she's not because she's still a victim complex or or, yeah. or yeah. what plus plus everything we've seen about her character as a child is about escaping an abusive father so yeah. to then to 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 then have her in an abusive relationship kind of i, I know that happens where people with abusive fathers go but the whole point of her character journey is to kind of overcome that somewhat. Yep. Although that's pretty weakly handled in the first film as well. I didn't like the way James McAvoy uh, was playing Stephen King, and there was loads of weird meta stuff about, mate, you are shit at doing part two. I know, well, everyone, everyone keeps saying I can't do a second part very good. <laughs> can't do I endings. keep fucking up the ending. Yeah. Oh, man. What's that about? What are they trying to say? Because he, he somehow <laughs> writes an ending at the end of the thing, but it's not like he's gone through some character growth that makes him good at dealing with endings. And It's not like they set him up as someone who's unable to finish a task that he's set because of some trauma that he overcomes. He just mm. He's just like Stephen King writing, oh, well, everyone always says I'm bad at en- endings. And then Stephen King has the goal to put himself in the film. Ah. <laughs> You you want that bike, do you? You want to go down that road? Not many people Uh, have ridden that bike over (laughs) here. But you're the big author. You want it. You can afford it. (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird. There's a bit where the 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 one the one played by Calvin uh, goes downstairs (laughs) and he's worried about germs, and then he sees um, the leper from the first film. Mm. And they, it comes at him, and he fights back, and he starts strangling it. And then they play a split second of uh, just call me Angel of the Morning yeah. as, as it vomits over him in slow motion. It's like... What was that? Well, hang what on. Are that? we making are we making a Bruce Campbell movie? Or is it, a, is it a scary film? What is it? What's it supposed to be? Because if it's Evil Dead, fair enough. Like, I don't mind the Chinese food coming to life and spawning little baby heads and going... Mm. And attacking people, but if it's meant to be a serious film, don't do that. It's awful. And Evil Dead would do it in a way that was actually funny and yeah. like original and well directed. But that's it. Like if they committed to the funny, it might work. There's that bully kid comes back only to do a kind of Scatman Crothers in The Shining and be immediately <laughs> dispatched. So you're like, oh, I didn't know they were going to kill him right away, and it was just a complete yeah. red herring. Um, and there's just lots and lots of, you know, uh, I remember when we spoke about it in our main episode uh, before this, Calvin, I think, hit the nail on the head and he said there's just such a, a great deal of restraint on the part of the director. He he cited the scene with Georgie being killed at the start where you mm. see it, uh, you see Pennywise reaching out of the drain and Georgie's far away enough that you know he can't possibly reach him, like, unless it gets supernatural and his arm stretches, but they cut away and you don't see the arm stretch. Mm. And then he pulls Georgie in and it's, it, it knows what it can show you and what it can't. 
and it leaves stuff up to the imagination. It Chapter 2, on the other hand, has a sequence where they run down some catacombs and Pennywise's arm extends like Mr. Tickle and chases them down the corridor. But it can only extend an arbitrary amount of uh, the way before he kind of gives up on it. Plus then there's loads of other scenes where he's sort of a giant spider and he can't get in this big hole but like he can't why can't he stick his arm down there it's like a legend of zelda mini boss that'll mean something to the listener alan i know you don't play <laughs> video games <laughs> but a lot of it it's just a lack of restraint you you go back now look up the teaser trailer i mean don't actually but when we're done recording and listener look at the teaser trailer for it chapter two where they just have an extended scene of jessica chastain going to her old her old house and sitting mm. down with a, a little old lady. It's a tense, creepy scene in that trailer. Partly because they cut before a big lumbering Muppet thing <laughs> comes f- like Big Bird from the Sesame Street comes chasing after her made out of like some, s- it, like again, it literally, it looks like the, the thing at the start of Army of Darkness. It's like a big rubbery monster. I mean, it's CGI, but it looks absurd. It's comical. Mm. It isn't remotely scary. And people were laughing in the cinema when I watched it. And and the pivotal, the big climactic moment at the end of the film, because I've heard people say, well, it's not scary, but it works as like a fun adventure film. No, it doesn't. No. They The way they beat Pennywise is by going, you don't scare us. You don't scare us. And he goes, oh no! But they they bully him into into he shrivels up. he shrivels up into a little a clown shaped condom. <laughs> that was definitely that scene. I was watching it. I was I was thinking this would this scene would just work so much better if they were thirteen year old children. Yeah. So bad film, bad decisions all around. Yeah. And I loved the first one. I really did. Uh, but no, I give this one a five out of ten, and I thought it's very generous. But yeah. Well, I gave it a, I gave it a four. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wasted. Lost, lost, yeah, waste. Calvin, you haven't seen it yet, have you? You only no. saw it, the first one, like, a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right, well, we'll check in with you uh, about what you thought of that in, like, two years, 2021. 20, that, that sounds fair. Yeah. All right. I've seen cool. it by then. Cool. <laughs> it's bad. Oh, no. <laughs> it's disappointment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. After that, we we did something that you probably will enjoy, Downton Abbey. <laughs> what did but but did we enjoy it, Calvin? What do you think? Oh, I don't think you did. <laughs> Regardless of the show's quality, I I think the takeaway was that I kind of took fundamental issue with the uh, the politics being presented, yeah, yeah. the the right uh, the the ethics being presented by the series. The sort of there's an air of of classism, I guess, about Downton yeah. Abbey and and this idea of uh, celebrating subservience to to people who perhaps don't deserve to be put a a, a, a pegging above others. Mm-hmm. Um, the top credited cast member in this film is someone called Tuppence Middleton. So I, <laughs> I, I think that's that... a posh name. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I just I don't think that my uh, feelings are perhaps gonna have changed. <laughs> uh, so let's get into Downton Abbey. I, I think our main concern was how the hell do you go big in order to make this TV show? The Queen's that... coming round. 
Yeah, and like, how do <laughs> you King, justify it as a film? How do you make it feel like more than just a, a Christmas special or something? Uh, well, the answer to that solo is they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They do fuck all. They don't, they, they don't even exactly try, the do they? <laughs> I mean, to give them credit, there, there there's on. a lot of locations that I feel like oh, we yeah. probably wouldn't get in the um, in the TV show. Just a willingness to be yeah. like, oh, we can go inside this person's shop. We can we can leave the grounds here. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's shot quite nicely. That you know, there's more fancy camera movements and so on than you'd get on the show. The music was much nicer in terms of its arrangement. Uh, they'd obviously hired a bigger orchestra. And that's about it, really, isn't it? Uh, everything else is just basically an episode of the show. Not even any big stars in it. And and the writing is has all the same oh, flaws in it that it does in this. It, oh, yeah, awful writing. Really awful writing. So just just to give a, a, a very succinct example of why the writing is terrible in this and and how the, and we we talked about this in our episode when we were talking about the series this weird like making small things very big and big things very small so it, there's a series of subplots in this film because it feels like it's written as kind of an episodic thing anyway but there's a subplot where the the Irish fella he kind of gets Asked to help in an assassination plot to kill the king, oh, but then God. you know yeah. it turns out he's you know he's actually a good guy and he's just keeping an eye on this fella. And they foil an assassination attempt. Look, now, I know I'm not story. a big fan of the king and the queen, but I don't want yeah. to kill anyone. What do you take me for? <laughs> but that that story, which could be the entire plot of the film, uh, if you wanted, you that's a way of making a film big. That, that yeah, I was going to say given, that. When that happened, it was like, oh, they have gone big. And then it was like over three minutes Then later, it gets, it's over. But that story is given as much screen time, as much dramatic power, and as much sort of play as the other subplot, which is, oh, no, the chairs have arrived, but there's no one to put them out, and it's raining. Oh, we'll have to put our coats on to put these chairs out. That subplot <laughs> is given the same importance. And then they, there's this whole scene where they have to go out and, and even... Hugh Bonneville goes, puts his coat on and helps out to put the chairs out because um, all the servants have gone to gone to the fair in town or something. Yeah. Like that is as important as an assassination attempt on the king. And even from a character point of view, like they suddenly this character that they live with and trust is mistrusted because he's Irish and they just make nothing mm. of that. Yeah, uh, That's the sort of terrible writing you're dealing with here. Yeah, and then the, so, but the and the main the main thrust of the plot is that the grandma Maggie Smith is trying to contrive something with inheritance, and Imelda Staunton's got a uh, maid who's really her daughter, which was pretty obvious right from the start. To the point when when there was a big reveal, I was like, "Are they taking the piss?" I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, but Maggie Smith certainly they lean on her. She gives good. She gives all the good lines. She gets all the best stuff. I know it's not a big deal, and I should really just let it go, but I just, I really struggle to get over the sycophantic, like, arse lickery. Oh, the royals! Oh, oh, we're so, we love these people that were born into being our rulers. We're so in love with you. Oh my god. It, it was, it was horrible. It was disgusting. Like, Julian Fellows mm. pays lip service to it. He obviously went, oh, those pesky uh, Republicans, those people who don't like uh, 
the royals oh, we'll 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 give them the time of day we'll we'll give them you know we'll make it a fair even-handed film oh hello it's me the stupid character that says bloody stupid <laughs> shit all the time I don't that's what I know why is everyone I'm... deference to them bloody stupid why is everyone bloody like the royal family oh do be quiet for god's sake i think it's bloody stupid oh you would say that the thing is so right this is set in the 30s right so I mean, people were like that, and they're working class, particularly. Like, you're never going to meet someone like that again. It's like meeting a major celebrity and being starstruck. Like, that is yeah. the equivalent. And there was a lot more respect Look, for the royal family back then. So, Look, it, it, I, I think the characters are quite in keeping with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't mind that the characters in the film behave a certain way, but it's the fact that the film is condoning of it. It doesn't really ever attempt to even suggest that maybe it's silly leaning into this this idol it's not even that it's that it really reinforces it as a kind of this this is the good this is a good way to be they go to great pains to bring back uh the head butler so i take it he left over the course of the show I, i assume i think he's in it all the way through so i assume that was like the season closer was him like retiring or whatever yeah and then they have to bring Mosley, but that character, he has to come back because he literally like hears the Queen's coming around for tea and so he comes up and goes, oh, can I can I don delivery again? So he obviously left at some point, but they wanted to get mm. back in. Mm. But to, to but they just handle it so badly. So to get um, Carson, that's the name of the butler, played by Jim Carter, to get him back in, the guy who's now become the butler, who is the arsehole from the first series that I saw so the fact that he's still even still working there is ridiculous but yeah he's they just have to tell him to fuck off basically and so they have to contrive this whole subplot with him which is not relevant to anything in the rest of the film and it really is just like it's never dealt with in terms of an emotional fallout of him being fucked off or a professional fallout of him getting totally screwed over so yeah. obviously that's changed in the meantime, but but then the, his subplot is he goes and be be a bit gay somewhere, and, and oh, they yeah, sort of do a bit of social that. commentary about gayness in the thirties, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. which was actually all right. I kind of I didn't it's mind what they did with that from the film. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort they of, dared to show two men kissing at one point, and that was like, oh. um, but yeah, so I I kind of liked what they did with that. It just didn't fit in with the rest of the show. It was it was so separate. It was like this yeah, is another yeah, yeah, episode completely. that we're doing. It's it, and that it's just bad writing. It's oh, really, well, you could have really cut it out written. without affecting. You could have cut yeah. that entire subplot, and it wouldn't affect the film whatsoever. But then the same's true of pretty much every plot strand in the film could have been removed without affecting the other ones, more or less. Yeah. Bad film. Um, yeah, what'd you give it out of ten, Alan? I gave it. Uh... I gave it five, which seems pretty generous now, thinking about it. Yeah. I watched it a few well, weeks I, ago. I obviously felt all right about it at the time. I also gave it a five. It, it, much like the show, as much as I take issue with it on a on a, on a a level of how well it's crafted, and on an ethical level, uh, mm. I have to say it's quite easy to sit through. As, yeah. as kind of nothing-y as it all is. It's not, like, excruciating. So yeah, five out of ten. Yeah. But an angry 5 out of 10. Fuck this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you haven't seen that one, have you, Cal? No, I haven't. How have you not no. seen it? You're the only reason we had to do this shit on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's one that you definitely won't have, 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 have seen, Calvin. Uh-huh. Rambo. Oh, Last no. Blood. 
Did you know that Sylvester Stallone is an advocate for gun control? <laughs> Does he express this by making films that show the horror of gun violence? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's the idea, yeah. We did go through the whole Rambo franchise. Uh, yeah, and, and in case you didn't listen to that, or just to recap your memory, I, I think basically we were very positive about First Blood, Yeah, and then we hated the sequels that just immediately threw away whatever they built with that character in that world and mm-hmm. uh, turned it into just gung-ho action violence nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly different to the yeah. kind of second, third films. They, it's, they've really gone for an emotional narrative. It's an attempt at a kind of Logan-esque old man Rambo, which I appreciated. Yeah, and like he's done it with the Rocky franchise, so you kind of feel like he knows what he's doing. It was surprise. I guess the Rambo films are brutal, we understand that. Mm. But this was surprisingly kind of emotionally brutal. Like, it was very raw. Because mm. usually the emotions are in Rambo are like, it was my buddy for eight years, he got no legs! Um, that's about as good as yeah. you get. Whereas this is like they really go to a long way to develop this relationship with a, this girlish, this daughter figure. Basically, she just gets repeatedly raped over and over again, and then which you know they don't quite show, which is you know, but it's. I thought it was going to be like, oh, she gets kidnapped and then she's just sort of kept in a box. I didn't think they were actually going to go there, you know. Yeah. And yeah. then like he goes yeah, to, no, I... and then he goes to this trouble. But I liked that they went there, you know, because I thought if you're going to yeah. make it gritty and real, let's make it gritty and real. Uh, but then they yeah. it goes to all this trouble of sort of saving her, and then she fucking dies anyway. <laughs> and it was like I genuinely yeah. was not expecting that. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I so agree. I, I really, I liked it in that sense. But it was, but then it was like, okay, yeah, well, now this has just become because I thought he was going to save her and then go and get vengeance. But like, it's no, yeah. we have to really get you right down to that rock, rock bottom. Um, yeah. So yeah, very brutal. Yeah. And 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 there's a scene where he the scene where he goes to confront them, basically goes to find them, and it's not this well, victorious rap. They just like he has no plan, and they just. But that that, that, that kind of, of annoyed me. It was like, what <laughs> what is he doing? What is the plan? He <laughs> he picks up a hammer and walks in and starts hitting them on the head with a hammer. <laughs> and, I'm, and and well, that I mean, that sounds worked. like I'm being glib. That that's literally what he does. <laughs> but that that plan and, worked. It's the one before that. And I don't. I don't. Yeah, but that's what annoys me is that he 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 just goes in there with a hammer and it works. <laughs> None of them think to pick up a gun. It's just that annoyed me. It's like, come on, like, I mean, I know he's Rambo, but he is like seventy now. Like, fucking hell, just, <laughs> is he that good with a hammer now? He's not being stealthy with it. Um, so I wasn't keen on that, but. I, you know, I get they were going for a kind of Taken thing, and I'm not a big fan of Taken, honestly. Mm. Uh, but then we we get to the end, and they go into like Home Alone mode, and and that's something I really enjoy. Is uh, 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 <sighs> we we spoke about this with Hobson Shaw recently. Yeah, I love it when you know you've got like an army coming, and you have to fortify your base and prepare it. It was yeah, yeah. It was with traps. just it just, but it just did feel like. Let's do Home Alone, like, but with bombs and guns and knives. It didn't feel like it had I gone like any that. further than that. <laughs> like, there was no... Yeah, yeah. And it was just... 
Yeah. The emotional fallout of that isn't really explored in any way. It's like the emotional fallout is right. I'm going to yeah. kill people until I'm satisfied. Yes, yeah, the emotional fallout is I'm just going to channel it into revenge, which you know, which is I, Rambo, I, is... I guess. That's Rambo. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's in character. I wish it would be nice if we got a bit more of a sense of resolution at the end. Like he, I guess. Yeah, it's kind I, of I, I could have done with that. Yeah, it could have done with a speech where he says Jimmy didn't have any legs. <laughs> It needed that moment. But, it felt like that was missing. I, I mean, I, what I wanted to get from the ending, and I, I guess it's there if I can take it, it's that, you know, he hasn't really found any resolution in this vengeance and he's just going to, and he's going to yeah. die because he can't live with the pain. And so he's just set up yeah. a situation where he's happy to die. And and if he is just going to take out as many people as he can before that. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm happy with that. Like I quite like quite nihilistic, but I'm all right with that as a message. I mean, look in in a nutshell, I think the Rambo sequels are, are terrible, all of them. I think this is the best one. Uh, it's not a good film, but it has a lot that I enjoyed in it. It was if I had to watch another one, like one of these again, a sequel, it would be this one. Hmm. I, I I was a bit confused what it was trying to say politically. I'm not entirely sure what. <laughs> Well, moral of the story was, yeah, I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't. It's just here's a target, mm. a group of enemies that I can slaughter. But it, but it kept getting very ponderous, as though there was a point. It, it seemed to think it was saying something, and I don't really know what that was. Mm, I don't know. But you know, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I, I no, no, I didn't. Sat through it. Quite happily, it was all right by Rambo standards. Yeah, interesting things there, and more depth than you find in most Rambo films. Definitely surprised me. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, as a rating, I give it a six out of ten. Which yeah, it's definitely one of the better sequel scores by far. Yeah, I gave it a five out of ten. But yeah, it was you know it's quite a high five. It's quite a. I thought as a as a farewell to the character, I think it was actually, you know, t- talking about the character in terms of the franchise and all the sequels. I think it was quite a good job of it. I expected it to be a lot worse yeah. than it was, basically. Yeah. Basically. Um, <laughs> no, I am. I remember seeing the first one of that, and we had a, a bit of an argument about it at university. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you thought I was being dismissive to um, the post-traumatic stress of uh, <laughs> <laughs> post-war uh, veterans. And it wasn't that. I just felt that if he'd just have talked to someone, he wouldn't have had to talk to It's very hard for, for men of a certain generation to, to, to open up about their feelings. Yeah, and that's what bothered me. Uh, and that's and, that's and, something and since... that Rambo... Continues to explore. Since then, I've just not felt a desire after you shamed me into uh, (laughs) thinking that uh, yeah, I was being offensive in some way. I've not gone near one since. You know, ironically, I think Calvin would probably prefer like Rambo three and (laughs) four. Yeah, I think you probably would. I I could see you enjoying. Actually, no, because you don't like Taken, and this is very much in the mold of Taken. I I don't think you'd like any of them, Calvin. The The ones where he kills a lot of foreigners probably like that. That's true, yeah, he probably would. Hmm. But but he does it to save Christian missionaries right. and stuff, and he doesn't like Christians oh, either. So. No. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, 
Well, something a bit more obviously Calvin-esque, dare I say. Uh, although, I don't think he really likes it all that much, but <laughs> I, I think it's the kind of thing where people just think you like it, like Doctor Who, and it's probably really annoying. Uh, the Adams Family. Literally no one has ever... Uh... <laughs> I think we were both quite uh, down on this film that was coming out, the the new animated Adams Family. We'd only, we were both we'd like, only yeah, seen the trailer. Like a little shit. Yeah, we, yeah. I was, I think I was pleasantly quite surprised by it. I, I, I don't want to sound like I thought it was good, exactly, <laughs> but I will say I thought it was about as good as the 1990s live-action films. Oof. I'd put it about on par with them. Uh, I thought the attempts at joke writing were stronger. I thought there were some better jokes in there than you really got in the... Really? Um, yeah, I mean, there was still lots of, you know... It it felt it felt like they went one step beyond, uh, smell this milk. Oh, it's out of date. Delightful. <laughs> it, it was it was like See, they I went one I, step beyond. I did not get the sense of the one step beyond that. <laughs> there's, there's one bit where Morticia's welcoming people into the home for the party, and she's like, oh, we're so sorry you made it. Make yourself uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I hated that, yeah. <laughs> no, there were definitely a few moments where it was sort of like... Oh, that's a nice bit of you can know, you, a bit of satire. Can you give in me a there. specific example. <laughs> I wish I could remember anything about this film. This is a bad joke, and this isn't a good example, but it's an example of what I mean by going one step beyond that basic thing, which is like when that balloon appears, and then when Charlie's Theron, as Morticia says, "Oh, strange. There's normally a murderous clown on the other end of these things." Mm. That's the sort of thing where I think they were going like just that extra mm. step beyond. And it, it mm, it's just just it wasn't great, it but it come out recently. I know, but it was you know it was it was an extra layer of. I thought the animation wasn't nearly as disgusting and off-putting as it appears in all the stills mm. when you look at it in motion. It wasn't great, but it was fine. I thought the voice acting was largely quite good. I'm not a big fan of Chloe Grace Moretz. I found to it. Be honest. I she, found it all quite dull, like and just kind of not not yeah. good good enough character, like with the. Exception yeah, of Nick Kroll. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who is doing classic Festa, well, which I, I think I sort of said he was probably going to do because well, he does well, have that kind I've of... just recently watched Big Mouth and gone through all that, and it is just Coach Steve. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. It's it just the Coach Steve Uncle Festa. Yeah, that kind of voice yeah, like that. Coach Steve. Yeah. <laughs> nah, please, don't worry. I'll sleep in the attic. You won't even know I'm here. I practice that move in a, in a lot of people's homes. <laughs> I thought Alice, Alice, and Janney is like the the, the villain. She she was brought yeah, a lot thought, of characters to that. I was happy with that. I thought I thought she was very in line with the sort of performance you'd get for a character like that in the the nineties films. Yeah. Um, but then like I, I yeah. Morticia, Wednesday, Pugsley, just. Bland, bland yeah, well, is the word. Well, Pugsley, there, really. Pugsley was very different, like an attempt at giving him some character that he'd never had before, <laughs> and they didn't really manage it. Wednesday Adams, Chloe Grace Moretz was just like, oh, we're just kind of riffing on Christina Ritchie. This is like Chloe Grace Moretz grew up with the Adams family, played by Christina Ritchie, and now she's doing a bad impression of it, where she's overdoing it. Mm. I thought they did a nice... Uh, sort of riff on the classic theme tune for what that's worth. Yeah. I thought um music actually was quite good in the film on the whole. Uh I gave it six out of ten. Same as Adam's Family Values. Mm-hmm. I gave it a four. 
And I didn't like Snoop Dogg as Cousin It. What was that about? What was that? Why Why was that? I don't know. Because it didn't, it didn't mean it's anything, like, did it? It's like, it's like someone was high in a casting meeting and they just laughed so much when they said it and then they were like, what, really? And they went with it. Because yeah. It when, was never actually funny. When they do the introduction, when they do the introduction of the character, there's a Snoop Dogg song playing. Yeah. But it's not, it's like, well, it's like most Snoop Dogg songs, but it's the one that goes, that's just saying his name. So you've got the character playing the, exactly. You've got the character playing the part while he's singing a song on the soundtrack, non diegetic music, like as well, himself. Well, what I did like with that was that that song has a very prominent use of the N word at one point, <laughs> and I was like, oh, how are they, how are they gonna, how are they gonna work with this? And they just like the song just cut out for like a split second. <laughs> and when it get your attitude, it was like. Okay. It was in, <laughs> I'm I'm surprised we're allowed to, to even allude to that word in a kid's movie. But there you go, it's the Adams family. They're edgy. You know how most people hate you know how most people hate the N word, Alan. <laughs> Adams family. Fucking love it. <laughs> you walk around the Adams family house, they're just like, Oh, N word this, you you P bastard. UMF. Very on PC, that that family. <laughs> From another time. <laughs> It's like Bride of Vernon, isn't it? It's Vernon-esque. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good, though, is it? Uh, Zombieland Double Tap. Uh, a film that that obviously I really liked, but also Alan? <laughs> Just to briefly recap on our Zombieland episode, we, certainly I felt that it was really enjoyable nonsense, but ultimately it's still nonsense, and that kind of just let me down a little bit. I think you were sort of on the same lines. But I just like zombies a lot more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we really, well, certainly I really did not expect much from Zombieland Double Tap. Thought it was going to yeah. be shit. Yeah. I want to take it back, yeah. though. I want to take it back. I loved it. Really? Really? I, it. I think it's better than the original, though. Yeah. Well, you're you're massively in the minority, but I'll tell you what I think. I do think it's much funnier than Zombieland. I think yes, the comedy definitely, is definitely, much more yes. of a focus, and I think that is very much to its strength. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I also think it, it, it captures the same chemistry and it has the same yeah. feel to it, but the, the plot just feels a bit more structured and feels a little bit more sensible. The same characters, but they're 10 years older, and it's kind of that's all believable. I was really happy with it, actually. I was genuinely uh, yeah. really enjoyed it. Well, I, I'm I'm surprised. I, I I'm very similar. Yeah, I I enjoyed it about as much as the first one. I think at a push, I'd say slightly less than the first one, but there's not a lot in it. Like I say, I think I think this one's the funnier film, and it's trying to be comedy. I I did have some problems with it. I I hmm. think the plotting. I would say is slightly weaker this time round. Honestly, I I think this one just had more like oh really I've got to go with that have I kind of moments that stood out to me. Uh, mm. there, there's the the pacifists melting the guns instead of just putting them in a in a in a Storm. locked room. Uh, there's Woody. I can Harrelson go with that. Even... They're, they're pacifists. <laughs> what, what? Do you buy that they would have survived in well, that they're locked away? Aren't they, world? I guess. I mean, I don't know where where in pacifism, like herding people to their death, is still yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there was the whole. Oh, isn't it great how uh, we still have electricity? By the way, oh yeah, it's great. Uh, that... Well, 
It was a hand wave, I'll grant you, but I thought, fair enough. They just can't be bothered with dealing with that extra issue. I thought it was a yeah, hand wave, that was it, fine. It just, I didn't mind it, like you say, as a hand wave. I was like, fine, if we have to go with that. But then, why? All it, did, all it meant was that a load of scenes were lit with electronic light instead of, <laughs> like, lit slightly differently. I don't think it... It didn't affect the plot at all. And frankly, I think the lighting was um, less uh interesting because of it you know it was just like oh well that annoyed me anyway uh the fact they still have petrol and cars driving around annoyed me i mean i know that it's it's very 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 rare that post-apocalyptic fiction addresses the Mm. fact that there's a shelf life on on petrol that wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't last that long so whatever and they introduce these three zombies, and then there's no real payoff of that. You kind of keep expecting yeah. some sort of... That felt, frankly, like the the rules thing in the first film felt like a whole thing they'd kind of added. But I'll tell you what, the rules were good here. But here it felt like they were. They said, like, oh, we need to throw something kind of pointless in at the beginning like we did last time, because that's what people like, <laughs> so we better do something. Uh, it felt more like a homage to bad writing rather than a just bad writing. <laughs> it it just it was annoying because I suppose it set up the idea that there's this stronger, deadlier zombie that's yes. evolved. But it just felt like we needed a few moments. It felt like, for example, near the start, they're they're having a a shootout with some zombies, and then one climbs up onto the roof of the the mm-hmm. van and sneaks up on Jesse Eisenberg, and it felt like that just needed like a little label to pop up on screen saying ninja or hawking or whatever it you know presumably was just it just felt kind of weird that they didn't yeah they had a couple of homer moments didn't they that was what they got out of yeah 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 and you know other than that yeah all my fears were quite unfounded one of my big fears was that this whole idea of them having these doppelganger characters introduced yeah yeah um and then they add Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch for a few quick gags, and then a big action set piece. They're just yep. bodies for the fire, essentially. It yeah, worked. I, I, you know, in one way, I'm thinking, like, eh, just that feels a bit of a pointless sideline. But, you know, yeah, on the other hand... Similarly, I was I was really worried that I was going to hate the new, the dumb blonde girl yes. character. Uh, but again, I, I kind of, I didn't mind it. I thought they did a good job of justifying there being a kind of reset so that we cared about this rift mm-hmm. between Emma Stone and Jesse Eisenberg. That didn't feel too contrived. No, um, I actually quite liked her character for the most part. I was a bit annoyed. I, I thought they were going to do the thing of, oh, look, there's actually a bit of depth to this person that they're like completely uh, <laughs> overlooking. And no, they never went yeah. there. there. There were a few moments where they flirted with it. And, uh, you know, like there's an extended Uber joke that, I could yeah. th- imagine a lot of people hated. I I quite enjoyed. I, I liked right. it the way it addressed play, the ten year gap. It, yeah, it, it felt didn't... like a different film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It felt like an improv that had got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> it, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I thought she was pretty good. I I think it just it maybe needed to be like ten to twenty percent less cartoonish. That character yeah. just yeah. a little yeah, bit yeah. down, but because it, it was just good. it was. It was difficult to buy that she'd again survived for ten years on her own. If that was truly what she was like, and I really liked though, I uh, I really liked that they were so blasé and modern 
in their attitudes towards sex in this film. Um, it, it's just this kind of Hollywood product. It's quite unusual to see a woman with sexual urgency, and the fact I, I would have been I would have been frankly pissed off if they hadn't. She's been yeah, on, yeah. living alone for ten yeah. years. Of course, the first thing she's going to do is try and fuck someone when <laughs> she meets humans again. So I thought that was actually really nice. And then that they you know they do it, and then they get some great gags out of it with the rules, cardio, enjoy the little things. Mm. Not, yeah, and I, know, I, I did. I was worried that he was gonna go. Oh no, you know what? I'm still hung up on my ex, and like it wasn't gonna happen. I was like, that's bad. And then, so yeah, yeah she takes the power stance. There's a lot of attempts. Uh, there's a lot of undermining of urgency that annoyed me. You know, there's a scene earlier on where Abigail Breslin and her boyfriend are driving away, and then you just have this ominous shot of a load of zombies chasing after the car, and you're like, oh god, and that never turns into anything. <laughs> Uh, but you think, oh, they're you know they're gonna pull over and get ambushed or something. Um, then the bit leading up to the finale when there's loads of the T one thousand zombies or what are they T one thousand T eight hundred T eight hundred they call them T eight hundred zombies charging towards the the community that's mm-hmm. the stronghold. Uh, and you think, oh god, uh, you know, and obviously Woody Harrelson's in a car, so he can beat them to it, but. It really doesn't look like he'd be able to get more than you know. Yeah, he'd be able to by about seven or eight hours. But I don't know how much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so that was a bit annoying. But I have to say that action set piece at the end, where they take on those zombies, was absolutely fantastic. Every bit as good as the the thrilling action mm-hmm. fun of the first film at the end of that one. I mean, there's not much else to say. It was just really solid, good fun. I thought, and Emma Stone says she wants to do one every ten years. I'm, I'm all for that. I, <laughs> I, I have now, to say, yeah. <laughs> for for this film to feel right with it being just kind of more of the same, ten years on, it, it does feel like yeah, they need to do another one, <laughs> like a third one, ten years on. Then it will kind of feel right if they do just keep popping them out. And uh, of course, then we got a, a completely pointless but absolutely beautiful. Uh, Bill Murray cameo, I thought. I, I honestly, I sat there in the cinema watching Bill Murray fight zombies. It, it, you know that episode of Peep Show where Mark's watching a, a stripper and he says something like, no, this is giving men what they want and men shouldn't get what they want. You shouldn't be allowed <laughs> to have what you want. And I just sat there thinking like, yeah, I, I don't feel like I should get this pure a distillation of like personally toned joy twice in one year. Because I got to watch Bill Murray fight zombies in The Dead Don't Die this same year, and now I'm getting it all over again. And now that final sequence, I left the cinema on such a high. Um, So for me, it's an 8 out of 10. Slightly milder 8 out of 10 than the first film, but... Well, I gave the first film a 6 out of 10, which I've... Like almost now already thinking that's quite harsh. Um, Perhaps I'm looking back on that film more fondly now because I'm less convinced that it was a fluke. Um... But yeah, I gave this an eight as well. Um, far superior, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Shocked. And I'm, I'm not even shocked. gonna. I'm not even gonna ask Calvin. I assume. I assume you haven't seen that. But are you shocked that Alan liked it? Uh, I preferred it no. to the first one. I thought you liked the first one. I did. I, well, you gave yeah, the first yeah. one a six out of ten. I think. I, on a, I enjoyed on the first movie, one, yeah. but then every, the more and more I thought about it, it was like, yeah, but but this, but this, but this. And I just eh. did not expect the sequel to um, live up to it at all. Mm. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opportunity now to jump into round three of the music oh, quiz. Yes. Calvin, oh, Calvin, it's your chance to uh, to make some gains on Alan. Yeah. We're gonna warm up again for the main round coming up later with five more bits of film score, okay. like Ooh. last week. So point for the composer, point for the film. All right, number one, All let's right. go. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something you hear in a Wes Anderson film. It is very Anderson-esque, actually. Ah. Like an ethnic Wes Anderson. <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it was, I, I love it. Uh, I think it's uh, it's very likely we'll be discussing that film come Oscar episode uh, later this year, 2020. Uh, certainly, I think it's a shoe in for best original score. I agree, it's a very nice bit of music. Hmm. Uh, doesn't sound like you're going to get it though. It's from The Farewell. Oh, have you even heard of that film, you guys? Nope. No. Uh, well, uh, I think you'll be hearing about it in the coming months. Uh, it's a film about a a Chinese American uh, immigrant. I believe she's first generation, but moved over when she was very young and completely Americanized. And uh, she moves back home because her family are having a wedding as a kind of cover story to get everyone together because the grandma is dying of cancer, but no one's told her she has cancer because they don't do that in Chinese culture sometimes. They try not to tell them because the belief is that if you tell them, then they die. Hmm. They get ill and die. Hmm. If you don't tell them, they can just carry on living. So it's all right. Not a bad film. I think that's, so, that's medically accurate, actually. Yeah. That's why you never go to a doctor. Never go to the doctor yeah yeah also we, we can't afford it now can we guys hey 2020 <laughs> nhs well gone. yeah of course of course uh the nhs is now gone yes it was sold uh it was sold but of course that's December very relevant it's uh yeah a thing of 2019 and we are we are looking back to 2019 when the nhs was still a, a thing so well maybe ooh, it's gone ooh. from strength to strength in the time since we recorded this So, uh. <laughs> 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 All right, next, next. Um, uh, do do. What's my thing again? <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what my buzz was. <laughs> kind of Laurel and Hardy type <laughs> thing. Yes, Cap. I'm a. I think it's from Detective Pikachu. No, oh it's not damn it! Great. It sounded like the Lavender Town theme. Oh, you're right. It does a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I really like this film score. Actually, it's mm. it's not from a great film. It's from a very almost instantly forgotten film. <laughs> but the music was very good. Yeah, it sounds like a horror film to me. It's actually a kid's film, man. Gosh. 
Is it, um, is it It Chapter 2? No. We did do a Diminisode on this, if you can believe that. Huh? Has it been covered in this review podcast yet? Review of the year? No. No. It was one of our many bonus Diminisodes, where we just cover a film for the fuck of it. Um, it's from The Kid Who Would Be King, the the mm. ill-judged Joe Cornish uh, directorial mm. sophomore effort. Lost mm. a lot of money, I believe, for 20th Century Fox, now Disney. Mm. Uh, that was the score composed by Electric Wave Bureau, which is mm. by far the best thing about the film. Uh, right, next, next one, next question. Oh, Gavin. That's from Knives Out. Correct. Yeah. I watched. You are that now drawing. Seven hours ago. <laughs> I didn't get. Yeah, literally today. <laughs> uh, uh, do you know the name of the composer by any chance? Uh, I don't think nope. I do. It's Look, Nathan Johnson. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, <told> oh, you. <laughs> I, I did know that. I wouldn't have gotten that. I, I I did know that because I noted it and I thought I, I bet it's Ryan Johnson's brother or something. <laughs> or oh, Don, John, Don yeah, Johnson's yeah, I hadn't even son. Thought of that. Well, love I I love uh, a lot of the music that I'm playing this week, and this mm. next clip is no exception. It might be my favorite piece of music this year. Who knows? Alan. I'm pretty sure that's from us. It is from us. Well, well done. Haven't you already played something from us? Yeah, I never said I couldn't play stuff from the same film uh, twice. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I actually remembered that bit. That really well, do you remember the name of the composer? Seeing as uh, at, at the time of recording, it was about ten minutes ago that I told you. <laughs> yeah, it was Steve Baxter. <laughs> no, it was Michael Abels. Let's have the rest that's, of that clip. That was your final for round three. What a film. I love Does. I really love Does. Right, last one. Ready. Yes, well done. It is Midsummer. I've n- never seen it. It's uh, it's worth a watch. Very good. Oh, very good. Do you want me to guess the composer? I mean, if you if you think you can get it, I've, I've never heard of him. I don't even know how to say their name, but uh, go it's, for it. Uh, well, when you say you don't even know how to say the name, that well, um, I'm going to attempt to say it. Bobby Click. Bobby Crush. <laughs> Bobby K R L I C. Now, how do you say that? Click, 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 click. Anyway, Midsummer's good. 
I wanted to say, you know what isn't good, and then transition into the next film. But I actually like the next film, and uh, Alan, surprisingly, really fucking liked it. It's Terminator Dark Fate. Hi, I'm I'm a digitally de-aged Sol, and I'm chatting <laughs> to an impeccably digitally de-aged Alan. And, and most bizarrely, is uh, we're actually joined for this Diminisode uh, by... I don't even know how they've done it. They've like stitched Gareth's face onto an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> hello. Well, uh, hello. Uh, yeah, you you are referring Sol to uh, um, the opening scene of Terminator: Dark Fate, which this Diminisode is about. By far the most impressive moment in the film. The one moment that sort of stuck with me. Really. Well, Sol, can you tell, tell us how they did it then? Because I knew that Edward Furlong was coming back for this film, but yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, he hasn't changed in 25 years. <laughs> yeah, he's, he didn't grow much. Smoking. <laughs> does you. Um, yeah, listeners, uh, if you haven't watched Terminator Dark Fate yet, it opens with a Spoilers. very, very impressive flashback sequence. Uh, and, I, I mean, it was... It, it was perfect. In terms of the special effects, it was incredible. I, I was sat there and I genuinely was thinking, is this deleted footage from Terminator 2? Yeah. What is this I'm looking at? Uh, and I looked it up and it was just straightforward. Body doubles, digital face de-aging stuck over their bodies. In Edward mm. Furlong's case, I imagine they used footage from the older films and kind of went off of that. In, yeah, in they only Hamilton. filmed him from a distance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it was... It was uncanny. I couldn't believe how um, how perfect that technology is becoming. It's quite worrying, honestly, but mm. it's the most impressive use of it I've seen. And that's impressive because Captain Marvel did a fucking good job of it on Samuel L. Jackson. But yeah, Terminator Dark Fate, it's more than a 30-second uh, special effects showreel at the start of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole story for about two hours. Mm-hmm. And there's a Mexican. <laughs> yeah, there's the whole sort it of is, big it, thing set in Mexico. It is a very, um, it's a very Latin American Terminator film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They have to cross the border and everything. If if I, I was yeah. looking for some sort of allegory or meaning there. Yeah. And I don't think there was one, but it oh, just felt I think kind of... I think they were trying to give it a bit of, well, we're all humans, aren't we? We're all one, really. It's us yeah, we don't have to be a white What's American the point to in be a borders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terminator: Dark Fate. It is James Cameron shepherding his franchise again. Now the rights have reverted back to him. Uh, directed by mm-hmm. Tim Miller, of course, but mm-hmm. you know James Cameron was holding his hand. And uh, I, 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 I mean. Doesn't really have any new ideas at this point. Well, you, you seem you seem a bit stuck here, Sol. Like you you're just a bit nothingy on this film, by the sounds of it. So let me let me jump in. I I actually really like this film. I oh, okay. I enjoyed it a great deal, and certainly wasn't particularly expecting to. But it felt like this was a very worthy successor to the first two films, and this it was a nice trilogy. I thought it it, it does. Does essentially kind of do a very similar plot, but it, the plot all made sense. The action beats were in an appropriate place; they didn't feel too long. Yeah, I, I must say, sense. I I've heard a lot of reviews basically saying, "Oh yeah, it's the remake of Terminator Two; it's the same thing again." And I didn't think it was at all. I, I thought it it's obviously retreading a lot of similar territory. It's not bringing the same new ideas to the table, but the plot was 
significantly different. I thought, you know, it. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not expecting anything sort of groundbreaking in terms of the plot. And I thought they did a good job with it. I thought the the new Terminator with this kind of mixture of big metal robot endoskeleton and then like liquid thing that can detach. That was a nice new little extra bit. It wasn't exactly... Uh, that annoyed me. That annoyed me. I thought, well, you're having your cake and eating it here. You can't have two Terminators. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I did like, I did like the, char- the characterisation. I thought he was, you know, mm. the, the form that he took, I thought he was, he was more yeah. charming than Robert Patrick had been. I was annoyed that uh, there's a bit where they escape from it on a helicopter and it runs after them and realises it can't jump up that high and then just sort of looks around. And I would have loved it if it had gone all liquidy and just kind of climbed up into the air as like a big, long, liquid snake come <laughs> after them. It annoyed me that didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, I, I was sat there thinking, same thing as Terminator 3. This is obviously a step down from the Terminator in the second one in terms of its um, obvious ability to do its job. Uh, but then we ultimately find out that this isn't Skynet and they did change the future and this is like an alternate totally reality where thing, yeah. basically the same thing happened. So it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a remix. Because to... it, comes from a, it comes from a timeline that's more prone to cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed this film as well. I, I was really on board with it for the first two thirds and then in the last third I just started to think, oh, I'm getting a bit bored now. And then the yeah, ending. Really, that's what I would usually do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the that. ending just about pulled it back together for me. And and it's a real shame because if this wasn't just a big CGI jizz fest, I would probably really, really love it as a kind of you know feel like it was a worthy successor to the original two. Um, if it had the same mix of CGI and practical effects work that you get in the second film, mm. but. It's just pure CGI, and there's a real like mm. weightlessness to all the action. It just it, what what have actually quite well choreographed action sequences just don't carry the same visceral thrill when you know it's not actually happening in front of you. And 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 I was sat there like it's such a shame. Why is James Cameron allowed them to do it that way? And then I thought, well, actually, no. James Cameron is all about doing everything with computers, isn't he? It's just he was working with limitations of technology in 1991 yeah. they don't have now. So he probably would have approached this film the same way, mm. were he directing it himself. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I I really liked some of the characters. I really liked the the Grace character. I thought that was I thought that was a really um, a, a nice combination of. You know that that sort of fragile humanity, and obviously she was augmented as well. I I, I really I thought that character worked. I didn't like the way that she kept getting sick. That that felt like a a, a, a plot twist that was just well, this is just getting in the way of things. You know. Yeah, I, I really, liked it the yeah, first time. Well, the, the interesting thing about that was I, I thought okay, that's a nice way of like yeah, it means she can't just be fighting all the time. And and it gave, it's yeah. like, it gave oh, I have to go the and... opportunity to become stronger and to, to yeah. grow into that role. But it's like, like, it's video game rules, isn't it? It's like, oh, you have to go and recharge or buy a health <laughs> yeah. pack or whatever. Yeah. But it's it, it didn't really come to anything. It's not like it ever became an important thing, apart from getting her away so that they could get arrested and, and stuff like that. It, it, but it felt yeah, like it, it was it, unnecessary. Really. It felt like a plot contrivance, but one that worked quite naturally. You know, it, it allowed Linda Hamilton to catch up with them, for example. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, but like, yeah, let's get back to Arnie. Uh, he turns yeah. up in the last sort of last act. I kind of, given that they, it was such a nostalgically driven 
let's tie it all together kind of thing. I do kind of wish they'd found a way to make that the same Terminator from the second film yeah, or something yeah, like that. Because yeah, I, I would yeah. have bought the idea that he's basically become human and he's trying to understand love and all this sort of stuff a bit more <laughs> than the notion that he just kind of did it on his own. Yeah, I was thinking throughout the film, before Arnie came in, I was like, oh, I want a bit more humour. There was a few moments where it's like, oh, that could be a bit more of a gag. It felt like real T2 comedy rather than T3 comedy. You know, it was was pitched at the right level, mostly. Yes, I thought so. If you remember our Terminator episodes, I actually quite enjoyed Terminator Genesis. I I was pretty positive about it. I gave it a 7 out of 10, in fact. Quite a weak one. When I came out of this film, I felt pretty much exactly the same about it, but for different reasons. This felt a lot stronger and more straightforward for the first two-thirds. Then, like I say, I started to actually get bored of it, and then it kind of pulled itself together. I think there's there's more little things that I like in Terminator Genesis, like J.K. Simmons and stuff like that, that do it for me on a personal level, but ultimately <laughs> yeah. I thought, look, I can't. I can't sit here and say this was worse than that. So, <laughs> so it's a seven out of ten from me. I, I, I'm jumping into a rating there. I don't know if we've yeah. got to that point, but well, I yeah, I, like I say, I really enjoyed it. I'm not an action film fan, and and this kept my attention. That's basically what I want from an action film. That means it didn't plow on too long with the action scenes, and that they were all sort of plot relevant. Anyway, so I was pretty happy with that. I liked the tone of it, and I gave it. Uh, an eight. Wow. A low eight, but you know, an eight. But I, I, I did like this film. I really liked the characters. I liked the Grace character. I liked Danny. I, I really enjoyed what they did with Arnie. I'm not really a massive action film guy, but, but yeah, I, I didn't get bored during the action scenes, which I sometimes yeah. do. So yeah, I, I would say an eight as well. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Calvin, um, you haven't seen Terminator Start Fate, have you? No, I haven't, but it's been getting a lot of backlash for being, like, woke or something, so I just want to see it, it on that basis. <laughs> on yeah. the basis that it has some women in it. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, what, yeah, is, no, that, I, is that I, the I, only I, reason? Is it? And it's about them crossing the border as well, I guess, but, I mean, I don't think it was particularly... No, I think we're just we're just in an age now, I'm getting a lot of this with No Time to Die, where, because there is a black woman in it who might just so happen to be in a position where she kicks some ass and is quite strong, people are rallying against that. And I think it's just indicative of the political climate that we're living in at the moment, and these sorts of things are just um, accentuating people's already bigoted mm. views. It's very sad, isn't it? Cause, uh, yeah, it's horrible. Because I didn't even... Question. I mean, I, I, that's not quite true. It it obviously has a sort of vague feminist slant because you know it's James yeah, Cameron. That's the... what he does and always yeah. has done. I was going to say, like, doesn't the the other two have that yeah, as well? Exactly. But that's it. But it, it doesn't get any deeper than let's put a badass woman in an action movie like that. That's yeah. where it begins and ends. Really is. You might like it because I think similarly to me, I think you have a thing for seeing characters age up a bit, but only when they're kind of badass women. But that is oh, what you get it. in this one. It's it's <laughs> Linda Hamilton uh coming back as a, a badass Sarah Connor and Gareth hated her as you heard in that clip. <laughs> but uh I didn't <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway. Well, now it gets tricky because we haven't even recorded these diminisodes that are going to be included, or possibly not, <laughs> depending on if we manage to get them done in time. Um, Doctor Sleep. 
Doctor Sleep. You guys seen oh, yeah. Doctor Sleep? No. Uh, well, here's a clip of us talking about it. So. <laughs> Uh, first thing, so, so it's it's Danny, the young boy from The Shining, who's all all grown up, and uh, he is now an alcoholic, um, which yeah. he uses to sort of block out the visions in his head and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Scatman Crothers occasionally pops in to give him a bit of advice. Yeah, and he's got all these demons locked up in his head, literally. Yeah, that's how he manifests it. Um, nice setup. I think that's quite a good. Uh, character starting point, you know, you've got this washed up guy. It does mm. s- one slight problem with the film, which I think is probably better in a novel length thing, is that you kind of have that story going on, and he finds redemption and and sort of conquers his own demons, and then you've got this the other story that he is essentially the mentor figure to, and we have this other young hero, uh, a young young girl by the name of Abra. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Can I ask this is this is a long film. It's it's 2 hours 32 minutes. Yeah. Did it feel long to you? Because to I, me it felt rushed, but that's because uh, I've read the book and I could sort of feel how truncated everything was and wasn't being given the room well, to breathe that I would have liked. I'll say one of my big positives from the film is it totally captured my interest and kept me in. Um I think mm. it was a really well-made film. Just in general, like I, uh, my major problems with it are kind of to do with plot and stuff like that. But I think it's a really well directed. It's beautifully shot. There's some very nice mm. imagery. Mm. The way they manifest journeying into someone else's mind. There are all sorts of nice little tricks they do. Nothing particularly uh, groundbreaking, but you know, using the tool chest to its uh, its full capability. Um, and yeah. yeah, just grabbed my interest and sort of kept me interested, even though it's fantasy nonsense, which is pretty good. Uh, for me, to be honest with you. So, in that sense, no, it didn't feel long. It didn't feel rushed particularly either, I wouldn't have said. No. Yeah, I, I think it's just, there's a lot of stuff in it that just didn't feel like it was give, given the room to breathe that yeah. it needed. The the whole um, alcoholism, for example. Danny's alcoholism is a huge part of the book. And, it you know, it drives and informs everything about his character mm. and the decisions that he makes. Whereas in this film, it kind of just feels like, oh, we meet him at rock bottom at the start, and then he gets over it. It just it never feels like anything other than like alcohol tropes, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, cliches. Definitely. I mean, they literally have that this. sort of twenty seconds where he's considering the bottle and then throws it away. And... Exactly, and yeah, it's pretty, it just yeah, felt pretty very... cliche stuff. And just just little things like that, you know, and the, and I guess there's all sorts of stuff that. It kind of feels like an, a, a messy tangent as well. Like the the opening stuff with Dan, uh, we we're introduced to him with this woman, and she has a baby, and so on. And all of that happens in the book, but it's a much bigger part of the overall story, and it keeps coming back. And yeah, it just it just made everything feel a bit rushed to me, sadly. In general, there's not a lot of character development across the board. Yeah. Like we say, the bad yeah, guys, exactly. we never get really much from them. Ewan McGregor's guy never feels shortchanged. Yeah, because I, I love the characters in the book. I love Dan Torrance and the depth they brought to him. I, I love how much uh, development they gave Rose, the villain, and, and you kind of 
she's not exactly a sympathetic villain, but there's a lot more to her than just, you know, she's evil. Um, well, one thing I, I liked, but it never quite came to anything, was a sense that, that this this little girl, well, she's about 13 or whatever, this girl who is extremely powerful with The Shining, and, you know, a couple of points where the main bad woman, she sort of says, like, you'll see, you'll see what you'll do to, to live forever or whatever. And there is definite hints that this girl is quite malevolent. She's certainly capable of hurting people, killing people. You know, it, mm. within the context, they've they've done bad to her, she's doing bad to them, but she is capable of doing harm. And, you know, yeah. when she's older, what what will motivate that? And I think there's definitely, there's a, there's a, I think there's a deliberate malevolence to that character, which it never quite explores. I kind of like that idea, though. I liked uh, having that. She's not yeah. just a sort of innocent. Yeah. And, uh, as we go along the plot, basically these bad guys are going to try and catch her and Dan Torrance reluctantly agrees to help her and they realize the danger, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a bit of a damp squib where they have this big confrontation and it's just like, oh, how are we going to kill these kind of supernatural monster people? <laughs> oh, just shoot them. Shoot yeah. them in the head with a gun. That well, that, that that is that is the definitive moment where the film veers off book and just kind of starts really rework it, uh, reworking and remixing stuff. And That's interesting. I agree, it is a bit of a damp squib. It just doesn't quite work. Because the idea cause... of these, these people have lived for, you know, millennia even, if not centuries. Yeah. But it, but then it is just a bit like, well, they're not they're not immortal. They might be able to heal quickly, but, you know, you shoot them in the head, they're dead. You crash them through a car. Why wouldn't you wear a safety belt if you if you know it can still kill you? It's not like... Yeah. Um, so th- that just felt a little bit kind of like, well, how how have they lasted this long, man? You know? Yeah, exactly. How how did you feel about the recasting of <laughs> old actors? Uh, well, Shelley Duvall popping up at the start, Scatman Crothers. Well, the thing, yeah, they were obviously happy with their Scatman Crothers alike because yeah, yeah. <laughs> they showed him plenty. They were happy with that. I mean, I don't know where you find someone who looks like Shelley Duvall, but yeah, it was. They fine. did a reasonable enough job. They, it was they gave in, him the same hair. Enough context that we know what's going on. Then later on, the big finale is at the Overlook Hotel, where the original Shining was uh, t- took place, and so we have a little um, tête-à-tête between Danny and his father, who's of course Jack Nicholson. Mm. It was an, it was a curious choice. I I read an interview where the director said we we thought about going down the digital, you know, yeah. Jack Nicholson's face route, but we thought that the technology would be a distraction from the scene. Yeah, I and I think, think that yeah, fair true. enough. On one hand, on one hand, that is true. But would it be more of a distraction <laughs> than a guy doing a kind of Saturday Night Live, right, Sparky? <laughs> you can handle the truth. No, kind you- of. Jack Nicholson Actually, to be fair, I think if anything, it, it, it like it wasn't a caricature impression of Jack Nicholson. It was very subdued. Um, if anything, like too much, you want to learn what more of that Nicholson uh, twinkle. But uh, but also, I was thinking, are they deliberately trying to make it a kind of it's sort of Jack Torrance, sort of Lloyd the bartender, so he can kind of get away with being something in between, and it's not full yeah, I think Jack so. Torrance. But yeah, I, I, I thought that uh, was a, a, a conceptually a wonderful moment, and I mm. think it's done quite well. I enjoyed it being there. 
Well, I mean, it, it, it basically you've got young uh, Ewan McGregor there. He's he's in the same position Jack Torrance was forty years earlier, and he's kind yeah. of repeating yeah. the same thing. So it's a nice circular thing, um, and it's about him putting his demons to bed. And in this case, it's his father. A bit more personal than just mm. literal demons that were haunting him. And I I think it's a nice scene, like you're saying, concept. My my whole problem with that that final act bit was it was just a, all a bit like. Hey, remember this bit from The Shining? Hey, do you see this corridor <laughs> that was in The Shining, wasn't it? Hey, and it just does that for about twenty-five minutes, and I just feel like I didn't need all of that and the every every beat. Um, and that scene itself was quite extended. I don't know. I, I I got a real, I got a load of fan servicey vibes, a real buzz from from going back to the hotel and all of that stuff. It all worked for me. So. Uh, let's rate it then. What would you give it? Uh, I, I give it a very generous 8 out of 10. Mm. I gave it a 7, which was kind of despite myself. I, I didn't want to like it as much as I did. I think I think I was surprised by how much it engaged me. Just good filmmaking, I think. Good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Mike Flanagan is a very dependable director, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Doctor Sleep. Ooh, put... You to sleep, Alan, from the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasant good dreams. Picture. Edit as appropriate. <laughs> pleasant edit, edit. Uh, okay, looking to the future again. Another one I've seen, but you haven't yet. Charlie's Angels. How did we think? Uh, were we were our hopes high when we talked about Charlie's Angels? No. In our episode? They were, were they? Oh, it's good. At least I wasn't no. disappointed. <laughs> it's exactly what I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. It was quite weak. Um, it's not done well, has it? It's not been well received in general. No, not at all. That's good. At least I'm sort of on board with my people. <laughs> That's always nice. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's just a very mediocre, by-the-numbers, like, spy movie. Yeah, I would say it's definitely skewing towards bad of the mediocre range. But It yeah. feels like what I imagine James Bond movies are all like but I haven't seen any from after the 70s <laughs> but yeah I mean it's not it's not great it just I think it's just completely average I don't have a lot to say about it I I was surprised that they embraced the idea of it being a sequel to the point that they did I thought it was going to be a bit more ambiguous as to whether or not it was set in the same world yeah that's fine um, totally yeah, different tone works. to the 2000s yeah film. very um, I liked Patrick Stewart, I guess, even though he was not bringing anything particularly yeah, remarkable to what he was doing, special. he was just on autopilot. Kind of the, um, that whole plot point where, spoiler alert, um, it turns out he's the bad guy, and, and sort of you think Elizabeth like that. I mean, it was just a bit obvious, wasn't it? It was a pretty blatant mm. double bluff they were trying to pull. Also, one thing that annoyed me was how easy, how quickly they got over the kind of like, oh my god, Elizabeth Banks has betrayed us. We're gonna kill her. And then she come back and they're like, no, 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 it wasn't. And like, oh, okay. And like, she's not mm. like offended. That they do. There's obviously no real trust between them. Um, mm. and that's going to be a problem, surely, going forward. I think looking at the, the three leads on the whole, um, I, I was quite pleasantly surprised with them. Um, I thought Kristen Stewart was uh, continuing to, to sort of show that the vitriol she gets against her is very unfounded. I thought she had a lot of charm. She was 
interesting enough. I thought Naomi Scott proved that she uh, isn't a flash in the pan. I, I, I thought she was basically continuing her streak of being the best thing in mm. the film she gets <laughs> I, cast in. I agree Aladdin. with that. Yeah, I thought uh, she was Ella she Balinska, was really this new well, one, yeah. was the weak link. I, I agree. She really didn't have any personality yeah. or, or anything to distinguish her from, from anything. Yeah. She was just there. Which is the exact I mean, opposite shame, of, of Naomi Scott, really. Naomi Scott really has some sort of, mm. like, a nice charm to her. She really jumps exactly. out of the screen. She... And it felt like Naomi Scott would have made sense in that role more. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It, it, it was a, yeah. Yeah, she's she's good, though. I really like her. I think Kristen Stewart yeah. has got a bit of personality, but I'm not convinced, really. I don't have to see her doing something yeah, I, I think... strenuous, I think. I think Naomi Scott is the best thing in this film. Yeah. Uh, I think Kristen Stewart has a bit of something, and this film is like doing its best to figure out what it is, and it kind of works. But yeah, it's not all the way there. Um, but yeah, n- newbie. I don't know. I don't. I don't predict much of a career for Ella Balinska. Yeah, I can't. Off see the back of this, too far, can you? And there's. Um... There's quite a few little nods to previous films and things as well. Mm. Like, they did a dance sequence, which I'm sure was <laughs> a nod to the 2000 film, because it was so out of kilter with the film, like, suddenly doing this choreographed dance sequence. Mm. It felt very Mission Impossible, yeah, tonally, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say, but just lacking yeah. lacking the insane Tom Cruise with a Death Wish stunt work and action set pieces yeah. that those films bring to the table. The, and that, that was what was the plot lacking, is, I suppose. The plot itself was pretty by numbers as well. And it was very, there was this kind of MacGuffin weapon thing that was never mm. really very well explained. It felt a bit like, ooh, future. And also, there's a lot of kind of 1990s idea of computer hacking where she's like, oh, I can hack anything. And then, you know, and like she's security cameras on her iPad all of a sudden. It's just like, what's that about? It just felt, mm. yeah, it felt very old school. It felt like 90s film in that in the plotting of it. Mm. And some yeah. weird elements yeah. where... Yeah, 90s, yeah. Some weird elements where she basically accidentally kills someone, a security guard, and it's not really dealt with. Like, she's freaking out a little bit about it, but <laughs> we never deal with that emotional side of it. It feels like that should have gone somewhere. And also a very weird character called Saint. They go to him and he's like putting herbs on their wounds and stuff and giving them like probiotic drinks. Mm. And I was like, I was waiting for the joke. I was like, right, I'm waiting for the joke. And it's not there. Never came. It was just like, yeah, "Yeah, we give herbal medicines. We look after our soul as well as our bodies. Like, ooh, there's no joke here. (laughs) And I think that that rings through the entire film, actually. It was like, there was a lot of bits where I was like, okay, waiting for the joke. No, they're doing this seriously. Okay. And I think it was a lot of that. There was a lot of stuff where it felt, oh, was this written as Charlie's Angels 3 for Muk G to direct? (laughs) And they just kind of got, like, when Elizabeth Banks came on to rewrite it, she took all the gags out because it was too silly, (laughs) but she kind of forgot to remove some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it it, it didn't feel like a very good script, frankly. And Elizabeth Hanks hasn't yeah. written much, has she? She basically hasn't written anything. But... Well, she she rewrote this, didn't she? And I mean, she's a credited screenwriter, but I don't know to what extent she was working with something, you know. Yeah, it was just a bit crap. <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, just not a bit crap. crap. I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, I sat through it just fine. 
But it, it to me, it felt like an inoffensive, like, I'll watch that when it hits Netflix kind of thing. If you're interested in it, it could be worse. But, eh. Um, eh. It was a bit offensive, I think. <laughs> it just wasn't good enough. It needed to be better. Uh, what did you rate it? I give it a very generous 6 out of 10. It, it was... Yeah. 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 I gave it a 5. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I I wrote a, a Charlie's Angels review that uh, uh, is published on Rotten Tomatoes. If you want to go get a more really, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I wrote. I'm actually very proud of it. Can I read you some extracts? <laughs> yes, <Yeah, that's> cool. <laughs> I'm gonna follow it up. You're too legit. I also reviewed Nicolas Cage's Primal recently, and I've been told they're they're talking about using some quotes on the DVD box, and I can't believe it because <laughs> because I was being I was taking the piss. I said like. When someone had the genius idea of making snakes on a plane on a boat meets Die Hard on a boat, <laughs> they cast Nicolas Cage and they're like, can we use the quote, snakes on a plane meets Die Hard? And I was like, oh, God. Well. Brilliant. I, I just really like that uh, I I spoke about uh, McGee as scathingly as I did. Uh, I say his first film spin-off marked the feature debut of McGee, now probably best known for directing that leaked audio clip where Christian Bale spends four <laughs> minutes berating a cinematographer without breathing. Um, uh, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, a film that concurrently confused adrenaline fueled whimsy with hacky over-editing and Justin Theroux with someone capable of doing an Irish accent. I was very pleased with this <laughs> review. You should, go and, you should go and check it out. Anyway, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so that's what we thought of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> um, Star Wars. Oh, yeah, that was that. big. Yeah, I I can't believe they put my worries to rest. Made a masterpiece. Made the best Star Wars ever. Made the worst Star Wars ever. Made <laughs> retconned the Last Jedi. Didn't retcon the Last Jedi. Wow. <laughs> I mean, so basically, our our fear uh, was that J.J. Abrams was just going to cow down to, um, you know, angry people on the internet mm-hmm. and try and appease them. And that's what he did, to the expense of completely undermining the franchise, to the, to the extent of setting a very dangerous precedent in Hollywood, and to the extent that, like, the film is just all over the place fucking bullshit that doesn't make any sense. But I mean beyond that, it's a badly made film. And yeah. and JJ Abrams is a complete and utter fucking hack and I think this film proves it out and out. It's Well, it, I, it, I mean I think I think it delivers exactly what you expect of a star, basic Star Wars film. I think JJ no. Abrams JJ Abrams will you give him that ingredient list and he will deliver it, albeit boring and kind of uninspiring. But no, it I, hits I every beat, surely. I think this one's bad. Go I think on. this one's every bit as um, riddled with holes and problems and things that don't make any sense. In fact, I'd say more so than The Last Jedi. But then this one isn't about anything. There's no subtext to at least sort of... Oh, there's no, there's no subtext whatsoever. It's, look, this guy's fighting this guy. Look, and it's, that's it's a just, war. Bad, it's just good, fucking, evil. It's fucking rude. Frankly, like the Last Jedi raised the franchise to the ground. It deconstructed the whole thing so that it could rebuild, so that it could have a future. It came from a place of love. This film is just trying to undo everything the previous film did 
because some people whined about it. It's pathetic. Like, the whole point of The Last Jedi, the big moment, is this reveal that Rey, Rey's lineage is nothing. And she mm. isn't some special chosen one because she's, you know, daughter of Luke or whoever. And in the wider world of the story, that sets up the idea that, you know, some new kid could be born any time. Exactly. A new hero could be born any time. Here's your next generation of films. Exactly. That, you know, it's some a kid really... who works as a groom at a slave stables. It's a really nice, meaningful, quite powerful idea. And, and I think mm. it's one of the best things about The Last Jedi. I'd put that moment where she finds out her parents are no one. Yeah, yeah, we talked up about with, that. Up with the moment where Luke finds out that Darth Vader's his father. It's, it's a great moment. And then this film just goes, actually, uh, no, uh, no, that not really... Um, she's, uh, Emperor Palpatine's granddaughter. Yeah. You know how much shit people gave The Last Jedi for quote-unquote pulling a deus ex machina out of nowhere with the Force, this power that we'd never seen before The Last Jedi, of being oh, able God. to astral project. How many fucking Force powers was this one just throwing in? Oh, they can heal people now. Yeah, where's that come from, yeah. Oh, we better write a scene in earlier on the where they heal a snake, so yeah. it's not out of nowhere. So that's set up. I'm J.J. Abrams. I understand film. Put a snake well, the thing in. Thing is, Sol, 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 see, that's very subtle because when she healed that, you you didn't think, oh, she's definitely going to heal <laughs> an important character later on, because it was so subtle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good point. Good point. Because you know what it was, Alan? It's because that scene with the snake was so vital to the story overall and just fit in <laughs> seamlessly that I just thought, yeah, that was an organic place to drop a power in. And I didn't I didn't think it was just clumsy exposition and setup. Like, But then it annoyed me because there's one bit where she has to get over this really choppy sea to get the special amulet or whatever. And she has to you know risk her life to on this little boat thing like we know she can make herself levitate she can make things much heavier than her levitate so why not just sort of levitate over the choppy oceans yeah i agree why is she climb why is she climbing up these metal things and almost falling why doesn't she just fly yeah not not just astral project why doesn't she just fly everywhere yeah levitate because she can levitate because can't she say because she, she's on a whole new level of like being able to move things with the Force now after she explodes a spaceship that she won't let take off. Oh, that's another thing this film does several times that is very prevalent in blockbuster filmmaking, is a fake-out death. Oh, the big mm. hero character we love's dead. No. Oh. oh, they're not really dead. Oh, we had mm. all the emotion and we thought they were dead. Oh, no, Chewbacca's dead. No, he's not. All right. Was that relevant to anything? <laughs> did that did that have any story purpose? Did it fuck? Oh, C three PO is essentially dead. Oh no! What a, what a lovely moment of self sacrifice. What some emotional pathos for for this character we love. Oh no, he's just reset back to like yesterday's memory. Back up. It's fine. Uh, I like the little thing that fixed his brain. Though I that love character. that. Little I like thing. that. Okay, right. I'm going to be positive about this film now. The one thing this film gets uh, spot on, it is fantastic in its like creature design, its world building. There's some absolutely incredible locations uh, put together for this film. 
Poe Poe Dameron's girlfriend, uh, the the new uh, spin-off character slash toy played by Kerry Russell. I actually quite liked her. I thought she had a lot of personality. Yeah, um, I liked that character. It was, but that was one element of a couple of elements where it's like this is setting up for other stuff. I thought this was like the end of the thing, wasn't it? I mm. thought that we're going on to a new generation. Oh god! Why are they so setting much... up that? Why have they set up Finn has the Force now all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. What's that yeah. about? Why? Because it doesn't go anywhere in this film, which means they're planning to take it somewhere else. That's the problem. Everything in this film's done so badly. They they finally address the whole thing with Finn being a. Uh, uh, a well, stormtrooper, but then they just yeah, don't really address nothing it. Nothing happens to it. Yeah, yeah. They address it in the sense that he meets someone else who's done the same thing, and I was like, "Oh right, they're finally doing something with this. Maybe they're going to lead some kind of. Re- they're going to face down some stormtroopers and say, hey, it's okay to leave.' But no, that never happens. Um, there's still the mass slaughter of stormtroopers, even though we now know that they are, you know, an enslaved child army. Um, that have been brought up in this, but still one shot with a phaser and they're dead, and that's okay. You know all the armor that stormtroopers wear. What what function is that serving? Because it obviously doesn't stop gunshots, does it? <laughs> I I get the impression it's like conductive for the energy to like pass it around the body, no matter where you hit them, and make sure they do die. <laughs> make sure they so actually die. Yeah, it's like no, a mercy so they, don't, thing. they don't want any injured. injured yeah, yeah, it's, it's a mercy thing, so they're not like bleeding out. <laughs> they just quick and painless. That's the thing, though. Like I, this felt like a very basic Star Wars film to me, but it, it worked on that level as well. Like, and that's what J.J. Abrams will bring you. It's- I don't think it did. I found the first two third, no, the first half, I did find very entertaining in a way that I didn't find the Force Awakens remotely entertaining. There was a lot of stuff it was doing that pissed me off, but that aside, I was like entertained by it. But then the second half, it just. It just got too fantasy bullshit. And I, I I mean, she's like this in all the films, but I, I was very aware of Daisy Ridley's acting after your yeah, um, complaint. But I, I don't know, is she shit? Because I think that's like Star Wars acting. And what the weird thing with Daisy Ridley is, I think her facial expressions are really good. I think her like physical acting is fantastic. It's just dialogue, yeah. But it's the lines of dialogue are just so robotic and lifeless. But I, I want to see her in something else because I, I can't tell if it's her or the direction she's been given. So, uh, shall we rate it? Yeah, yeah. We go can on then. You, you go first. Your negativity. I think if I had to watch these films again, I'd, I'd sooner sit down and watch this and enjoy it than The Force Awakens. But I think uh-huh. it's. A pathetic, spineless film, and I just think it's very badly made. So yeah, five out of ten. I think you're right. You know, I think you know the, the second the second film was much more interesting, but but this film was better, uh, just better structured. And you know, I think I Abrams really made... don't think it was. No, the last film was all over. The, like yeah, but this one's all over the place. That didn't relate to each other. There's like all this bullshit about finding some ma- magic crystal, and then at the end they're just like, oh, there's another one. That's fantasy bullshit. That's what I expect from Star Wars. Anyway, I thought it was sort of just watchable in that sense, uh, in that I wasn't bored. But uh, yeah, I gave it a six. Who would have thought it? Star Wars. Um, and lastly, uh, the the CGI nightmare-inducing uh, Tom <laughs> Hooper vehicle. Vehicle? 
What is it when a director does it? It's not a vehicle, is it? Pet. Yeah, yeah. Which is relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Cats. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were not shocked by what we found. Mm. <laughs> this is the film we haven't seen yet. Or rather, I haven't seen yet. I, I'm going to see it the uh, the uh, the week after this episode goes out. I'm afraid. So check into patreon.com forward slash dim returns, and uh, we we will put our review to Minnesota up as soon as possible. I said to Alan that he could just rattle off his thoughts for this episode, but uh, he quite rightly said that it really deserves a proper analysis from both of us. So uh, do do do. Look out for that. Uh, do you want to play the final deciding round of, of the quiz? The music quiz? Ooh, yes, 2019's music quiz. Remind Ooh. us, Sol, where are the points at? Uh, you are both drawing, actually. You both have 11 points. So mm. this is the decider, this round, now. Mm. Uh, last week, we played this with shit cover versions of songs from 2019 films. Uh, this week we are looking at shit original songs. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all shit. They're all right. They're, I mean, most of them are shit. This first one is fucking diabolical. You ready for it? <laughs> <laughs> Follow me home If you dare to I wouldn't know to lead you Should I take chances When no one took chances on me So I watch from the dark Wait for my life to start With no beauty in my memory All that I wanted Was to be wanted <laughs> I didn't specify, but I'm looking for the name of the song, the artist, and the film for a point each. Calvin, what do you think oh, that is? Shit. Oh, shit. I don't know. That. Um, is it from Cats? It is from Cats. I'm... Yes. Even though it sounds nothing, nothing like a single song in Cats. Uh, so that's <laughs> very even, interesting. Not even that one that they actually wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. it. I'm assuming that's the one that they've written to try and get a best original yep. song Oscar. Yep. Uh, so, is it Taylor Swift? It is Taylor Swift and arguably Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, okay. Uh, do you know the name of it? Uh, remember Me. No, no, not oh. far off. It's called Beautiful Ghosts. Um, <laughs> and among its many crimes against humanity, it features Taylor Swift attempting to rhyme the word wanted with wanted. <laughs> but it will be their like best original song Oscar yeah. entry, won't it? The film will probably get nominated for best visual effects, though Christ knows why. What? Where's the line? Because surely that should just get nominated for best animated film, if anything. I mean, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, well, but, but, the Lion but you're King right. Got I think nominated for best animated film at the Golden Globes, didn't it? Yeah, and visual effects, I think. Or, or no, <laughs> sorry, no. I saw it was shortlisted for visual effects at the Oscars, not not nominated. All right, here we go. Song two. Oh, but I believe in destiny or whatever it 
Is it from Aladdin? No. Although oh, I damn it, see... I heard friend like you in there. Yeah, and then I yeah, thought... I see your logic. Yeah. Very, very uh, good thinking. But I don't think either of you are going to get this one. Is it Padada? Is it what? <laughs> Padada. That's what it sounds like you say. Padada. 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 It's going deadly do. So you're not far wrong. Um, that is do dilly do brackets a friend like you by Walter Martin from the film Missing Link, uh, Laker Entertainment's ah. latest offering. And you know what? I mean, I went in with very low expectations. I I was actually very pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it. Um, hmm. Not not a bad effort, although it was that classic thing where it's like, really, you put all this work making this like gorgeous animation for this story this is the one you went with mm. but it was fine all right <laughs> next up the name of the film is in the song oh the dead don't die any more than you were right they're just ghosts inside dreams it sounded like, yeah, I can't hear the looks very well. Did sound like he said at one point, the dead will still be walking. Is, uh, it, is it Zombieland? <laughs> no, but uh, it does feature Bill Murray fighting zombies. Oh, oh, oh what was that film called? The, Ghostbusters. No, the, the dead, uh, the dead are here. What was it called? <laughs> Uh, that is The Dead Don't Die from The Dead Don't Die by Sturgill Simpson. It's used frequently throughout that very weird uh, film. Like, at one point, Adam Driver's like, oh, this song, and Bill Murray's like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's the theme from the movie. It's a weird attempt at meta. They do a lot of, like, I, how do you know that? I read the script kind of jokes. And it's just like, hmm. we're still doing that in 2019. <laughs> yeah, that's not, it's not meta so much as just breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Uh anyway, next up. This is a nice quick clip for you now, so so be ready. Calvin, you work in uh, you work in animation, so you should be aware of this. But I don't. Postman Pat movie. <laughs> <laughs> With a rat uh, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Uh, that was from. Uh, it's been it's been about a week since I watched it, and I already can't remember if it's Claws or Klaus <laughs> um, that they say in the film. But I think it was Claws, given the Santa Claus. Oh, connection. the animated film. Yeah, the the uh, very very. Uh, exciting if you're into animation i would say innovative envelope pushing bit of a hand-drawn animation um mm. that went straight to video straight to netflix sorry that was a freudian slip if ever there was one uh straight to netflix but prior to the irishman i would say it was the most kind of cinematic impressive theater quality netflix uh film to date it's mm. uh it felt very impressive from an animation point of view, and it's not a bad film on its own merit. So, if you're still looking for some Christmas uh, entertainment now in 2020, January 2020, do check out Claws. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I have no idea who that was by. Probably the composer of the film. Uh, right. <laughs> Next up, an incredibly mediocre piece of... Oh, oh! Kevin? That is um, Into the Unknown yeah. by uh, Adina Menzel from Frozen, Frozen 2. 2. Yeah. I, I could tell it's Frozen 2 just by the singing style. <laughs> but, well, it really is, uh, without giving too much away of an inevitable diminisode that may or may not be out by the time this episode lands, everything about the songs in that film, it's, it's like the songwriting team, Thingy Lopez and the other Lopez, were just given a prompt and then they just improvised a song and then Adina Menzel just went out and fucking sang her heart out. It's just like, g- give me a give me a name of a song, Alan. Uh, William, it was really nothing. <laughs> William, it was really nothing. 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 That's Frozen Two, my review right there. <laughs> fucking sack of shit. Anyway. <laughs> Calvin is uh, tearing away from you, Alan, with 16, 16 points to your eleven. So <laughs> let's see. Can you can you pull it back? Um, where, 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 that is yeah. um, Emily Sanday. No, it's not. But <laughs> oh, <shit>. oh, <laughs> keep <okay>. going. <laughs> oh, never what mind. What do you think now. it was? Uh, I don't know. Emily Sanday. Who's that? Uh, oh, she's a singer. I thought it was uh, a song that they've been playing on Radio Two What's it called? Oh, oh, stop, stop. I know it. It's called Rise Up. And it's from... Oh, fuck, what's it from? Are you sure it's not Emily Sanday? <laughs> no, and it's also not called Rise Up. So, Calvin, you are now... <laughs> you are now banned from answering until Alan has a go on this one. Is it Emily Sanday? <laughs> you guys... Are, I mean, Alan, Jesus Christ. What? No, that was Spirit by Beyonce Knowles from The Lion King. Uh, oh. Oh, I can't believe we don't recognise Beyonce. <laughs> yeah, shit, actually, that has been getting radio play, but I, or maybe I'm thinking of an Emily Sanday song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, next up, I don't expect either of you to get this, because I haven't even seen this film. But I thought Oh, was- well. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I hit John Wick and now I'm feeling so appealing. Basically, I'm a god. You could call me Hercules. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I'm telling you for Toy Story 4, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good guess. I like it. Uh, no. Uh, no, it's a song called I Punched Keanu Reeves. Oh, I could have guessed by, that. <laughs> by, <laughs> by Hello Peril. Uh, which is basically Randall Park, if you know him, the actor. Randall oh yeah, Park. yeah. 
he did some sort of rom-com this year, uh, semi-autobiographical, with a woman whose name I don't know, because I didn't make a note of it, because she didn't do the song, uh, called Always Be My Maybe. So there you are. I assume he's some kind of comedy rapper in the... It's one of those wacky comedy things, Calvin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Three more to go. Calvin, you are are winning 16 points to Alan's 11 still. Come on, Alan. Mm. You have to get all... All of these right, based pretty much. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sounds like a Beastie Boys knockoff. <laughs> is it, it's not Men in Black, is it? Is it Will Smith? No. <laughs> no. Uh, is it a kids' film? That it is a kids' film. Dora is it the Secret Life of Pets Two? <laughs> uh, no. Uh. It's one we. It's one we could have made a case for doing a Diminisode on. We we've covered films in this franchise before. Lego Movie Part Two. Mm. Oh, he's done you, Alan. Mm. He's done you. <laughs> Did it is it? the Lego Movie 2, the second part, yes. <laughs> so is it by Chris and Pratt? No. Oh. But do you remember the big song from the Lego Movie? Everything is awesome. Yeah, who featured in that? I'll give you a point if you can get one of these artists, because there are three artists credited. Oh, God. On uh, The song's called Super Cool, I'll tell you that now. Uh, Jay-Z. <laughs> no. Uh, it's by Beck... <laughs> Robin and oh, and now these are the comedy rappers. Alan, do you want to jump in? Comedy rappers. There's not a lot of them that of of note. Uh, uh it's the Lonely Island. Oh. You should have got that, guys. You should have got yeah, that. I should have said that. Yeah. All right. All right. Next up, you ought to get this, guys. I am your buddy until the end. Oh. Toy Story Four. No. I mean, he's not much of a singer, but he's a well-known fan favourite. Randy Newman. No, it doesn't sound like you're going to get it. That's the Buddy song by Bear McCreary, who also composed the music for Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Mark Hamill from Child's Play. The remake, of course. The remake from 2019. All right, this is your the last one, uh, Alan. This is your last chance to to not embarrass yourself. Oh. <laughs> Let's see if you can get it. All right. I can't let you. I can't let you. I can't let you pull your tail away. I can't let you. I can't let you. I can't let you pull your tail away. Don't you know that you are a toy? Masura! 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know the name of the song, but that's obviously Randy Newman. <laughs> that is Randy <laughs> that Newman. Well Story done. 4. Well done. It's Randy Newman uh, with I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4. This film is called Toy Story. It isn't called Fox Story. I thought that was you, Sol. <laughs> no, no, that's Randy, that's Randy Newman. ridiculous, Carly. <laughs> that's why I was li- laughing, because I thought it was you doing a, a funny song to finish. Oh, wow. <laughs> she hear the rest of it. I can let you, I can let you, I can let you throw yourself away. Key change, I can let you. Sol, this is you. I can let you throw yourself away. I can't let you, I can let you, I can't let you, I can't let you. Is that Forky on the song as well? I mean, it's it's obviously Randy Newman, because he said his name at the end. I'm very confused. Did Alan get a point for his answer? I got two. Yeah, he did. He gets two. Toy Story 4 and Randy Newman. But was that actually Randy Newman singing? Yes! Can't was you, it actually? Don't you recognise Randy Newman? <laughs> I can't tell if you're having me on or not, because it sounds a lot like Sol. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's Diminishing Returns' latest comedy character, Randy Newman. <laughs> Randy Newman on the guitar instead of the piano. <laughs> uh, well, uh, despite that, uh, <laughs> missing that obvious answer at the end, it was of course Randy Newman. Despite missing that, Calvin, you still won with 17 points to uh, Alan's 13. Hooray. That matches up with the tally I had going. <laughs> 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 so, uh, well done, well done. You've oh, won the, you. the, you. the music of 2019 quiz. Yeah. The music of the films of 2019 quiz. Oh, God. Ooh. You know what, guys? I, I was working out my top 10 albums of uh, the decade earlier today. Oh, yeah. Only three of them were by Electric Six. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's editing this one, put a little boom in there. <laughs> what, what was your favourite film of 2019, guys? Ooh. Alan, you've actually seen a lot this year, for once. Even though it's just stuff you, you've got to see for this podcast, yeah. <laughs> I suppose mine would, by default, be either Knives Out or Detective Pikachu. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What's yours, Sol? Do you want my Do you want my top ten? I've got a I've got oh, a go on, list then. here. Oh yes, and actually, in my uh, it would be that French animated film that you're going to mention in your top ten. Mm. Mm. Yes. This is of uh, the time recording. I, I'm still yet to watch many sort of Oscar-y films that haven't quite made their way out yet. But but I watched The Irishman yesterday. I finished that, so oh, yeah. I'm fairly up to date. You know. Uh, number ten, Midsummer. Excellent horror film, well worth checking out. Very unnerving. A real trip. Uh, number nine, Rocket Man. I really liked Rocket Man. I love a musical. I love Elton John. Mm. It just worked for me. Uh, number eight, Captain Marvel. It's just Marvel doing their thing, but doing it well. Mm. Number seven, Avengers Endgame. That should tell you something about what I think of this year in general, given how lukewarm I was on it in uh, last week's episode. But, you know, it, it was good. Uh, number six, Gojira, King of the Monsters. I love it. I'm standing by it. Brilliant. Uh, number five, Toy Story Four. I mean, I liked it. it. Just it wasn't, you know, good enough to justify itself, but it was still great. Uh, number four, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. 
See, it's a really weak year for films, I think, overall. <clears throat> and now we enter the top three, which are the only ones I'm really, like, properly into and make me happy. Uh, number three, Marriage Story. Excellent oh, really? film. I mean, it'll be up for all the Oscars and things, so we can talk about it then, but it's fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. Funny as well. Quite funny. Oh. Number two, I Lost My Body. Calvin recommended this to me on mm. Facebook, and it was a very good recommendation. Um mm. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah, really you're very welcome. It. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I watched the uh, the French language version yes. with English subtitles so I could feel extra pretentious. Yeah. Yes. I understand there is a, a Dev Patel dub on there, but I'm, oh. I'm not interested in Dev Patel. I don't want anything to do with <laughs> <laughs> And uh, number one, Us. Jordan Peele's Us. I loved it. Better than Get Out. It won't, it won't get anywhere near the Oscars, but it ought to. I found a couple of eight out of tens so far. It's the best I've got. <laughs> Zombieland Double Tap and what was the other one? Terminator Dark Fate. Wow. I know. What's that about? Weird. And well, it's weird picks like mine with Godzilla, I guess. It's uh Yeah. Well, I'd like to chuck out an honourable mention to Good Boys. Everyone's been raving about Book Smart, but I like Good Boys more because I'm a misogynist, apparently. <laughs> um uh I also really like Zombieland Double Tap like Alan. So singing the praises. <laughs> A lot of franchise stuff this year. A lot yeah. of very middle-of-the-road franchise stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all just kind of... Loads of, like, just fan service stuff, though. Not just franchise, but, like, fan service. El mm. Camino is just pure Breaking Bad fan service. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, pure Godzilla fan service. Avengers Endgame, obviously. Um, arguably Joker to a degree. Rocketman mm. was just Elton John fan service. It's just... It's all been fan service. Anyway, 2019, done. Yep. Ticked off. Wow. Yeah. 2020. What's coming up this year, guys? Ooh. Ooh. Same old shit. Calvin. No time to die! What's that, then? It's a, it's the latest James Bond film, time which we movie. probably won't be able to talk about, actually, Sol, because you have to watch the other four Daniel Craigs before <laughs> watch this new one. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Me and Alan can do a Dimini soap <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? What are you guys looking forward to? Uh, I was looking forward to the the uh, CGI monstrosity that was Sonic the Hedgehog, but it looks like they've sorted him out now, and he's not as funny. <laughs> so I, I'm not excited anymore. Uh, they are they're doing a new they are doing a new Bill and Ted film. Quite excited about that. I'm excited because that's my Halloween costume for this year. Sorted old old Keanu Reeves Bill <laughs> Ted, whichever one he is. <laughs> Uh, diminishing returns. Patreon. Will return. <laughs> will go, diminish go in 2020. Facebook. <laughs> Look on the. F- go like the Facebook. Mm. Follow the Twitter. At Dim Returns. Follow the pod. Instagram. Also at Dim Returns Pod. Subscribe on the Spotify. Don't know what that one is. Subscribe <laughs> on the YouTube. Patreon. Patreon's the most important content. one because they can pay for that. Yeah, give us. Give it, yeah, because that helps us with hosting costs. And uh, there's a thing you can do, which is you can sign up for one month and listen to everything on there, and then just like fuck off again. And lots of people have been doing that. So um, <laughs> come and come and chuck a dollar at us for like a back catalogue of. Uh... All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>